Welcome to KathleenWitten.org. We believe that Kathleen's message will inspire you, encourage you, and give you a fresh perspective on life. Now, here's Kathleen. We're doing John, and we left off in John 5, 33. And just to kind of give you a little bit of background, Jesus in these scriptures is revealing who he really is, but he's also differentiating himself between himself and his cousin John. You know, John was Jesus' cousin and the forerunner of Jesus. And so some of Jesus' disciples and some of those still following Jesus are still saying, now, is John was John the Messiah or Jesus the Messiah? Or, you know, tr- trying to figure out who is, is who and what is what. And, and so Jesus is differentiating himself from his cousin in these verses. But he's also revealing who he really is. And it's really exciting to be reading verses of Jesus revealing who he really is. Because when we start looking at who he really is, he is so much better than who we could have ever connived him up to be. Or if someone said, just write down your perfect God, you could not write down what this awesome God, Jesus, that loves us, Father, Son, and Spirit, you could not even come up with a list. And so let's look at Jesus' own words. He says in John 5.33, You have sent to John the Baptist, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things that you be saved. He's starting to say, I'm not getting my words from man. And so that you got to stop. That's stirring things up because all of a sudden here is this person that is obviously can work miracles and is obviously an incredible rabbi, incredibly um, steeped in the in the in the Old Testament and in the Jewish law, incredibly amazing man. But he's saying, "I don't get my information. You you sent for John, you know, and and he comes. Only God sends for me, and I." Come and I say what he says, and I do what he does. And that he he says something really important here, and it really lines up a lot with our our praying and for healing and praying for um, just that restoration power that we know that we have in our lives. And with in agreement with one another, it's explosive. It's it's unstoppable. And obviously, that's why, you know, Satan doesn't want people uh, agreeing. And he doesn't want, I mean, he loves church splits. He loves different denominations. He loves all the different, you know, me first, me second, me third. He loves all that. I call it, mom, hold your ears. I call it the pee on the tree spirit, where it's like, this is my territory. I am the prophet of this area. Therefore, or I am the teacher, I am the teacher of this church, and no one else can come in new. No, we need to be excited about each other's spiritual gifts. I told Paige, I said, I pray you do have the gift of healing. 
Yes, we need to be excited about that, and we need to be practicing it, practicing it, not just in some sort of practice for some kind of recital, but in life. In life, worshiping is living a life that honors God. Worshiping is living after Jesus. It's walking after Jesus, but not just saying what he said, but doing what he did. And there's such a huge difference in that because he wants us to do what he did and he wants us to be not only his disciples, but to be his hands and feet and mouth on the earth. And we shirk away from that from men's traditions telling us, oh, no, you can't do that. Or maybe we just weren't raised that way. So we just don't know to do that or just obvious reasons like the fact that if you don't know something, you can't do it. If you don't know something, you can't believe it. That's what's so great about learning Greek and Hebrew words and learning what really Jesus is saying because you can't really know what he's saying and I can't really know what he's saying unless we really dig. And then we dig and get what he's saying and it's like, wow, I I didn't even know I could believe for this. And so I want us to look here, John 5, 34. I'm going to read it again. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. I just want to look at that little word, saved, in the Greek, okay? It's a little word in the Greek. It's actually a really big word. It means, it's, it's, it's the word sozo, S-O-Z-O. It means save. Now you think about the prayers that you need answered. This is what Jesus is saying. I am saying these things that you may be saved, be made whole, healed, keep safe and sound to rescue from danger or destruction, make well, heal, restore to health, to deliver from the penalties of the messianic judgment, to save from the evils which obstruct the reception of the messianic deliverance. I want to stop here because that just sounds like a really long, huge definition. But what we want to see here is that really Jesus came, like he said, that we might have life and life abundant, but that includes health, healing, wholeness, restoration, all of the things that this little word sozo means. He didn't use this word by mistake. He used this word because he wants us to know that his word gives us wholeness. His word gives us healing. His word gives us safekeeping. His word rescues us from danger. Our being a relationship with him is our life. It, it is our life. And it, 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 it is life. And it brings life. And every time the word is read, it brings life. And life fills us, and we need to be restored. Um, I can't remember who it was yesterday at church. I don't know why they were calling him a free radical, but he was talking about how he didn't want to be like, you know, into any certain group or whatever that he. And then they they said, "Oh well, then you're a free radical." 
And he said, well, yeah, except for not the kind that comes and destroys your cells, <laughs> you know, because we read about all this free radical, especially as women, you know, you need this lotion because there's all these free radicals that are going to come and cling to your face and dig deep into the wrinkles and cause you to really droop and drop and free radicals are bad. But, you know, when we look at this, we need to realize though life, really life just our lives in living on this earth, we are inundated by free radicals in the, in the bad way. And that we need the word to revive us, to restore us, to heal us. You know, that's why we need to be laying hands on one another for healing and, and for restoration and for all of these things is because there is power in the word. There is power in what Jesus says. And he says here, to save, keep safe, sound, to rescue from danger or destruction, to make well, heal, restore to health. And then the next definitions that I read, I want to explain to you. Obviously, sozo means to save. Jesus is our savior. So when we say to deliver from the penalties of the messianic judgment, what does our savior do? He delivers us from the penalties of the law. He didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came so that we might live, although we cannot be perfect. None of us can perfectly follow the law. And so he's our savior. He's saying so that you may be saved. So he's talking about saved eternally as well. Not just made whole here, not made safe and sound here, but saved eternally. And saved from the evils which obstruct the reception of the messianic deliverance. You know, I thought, golly, that's kind of a, a, this is a little in the Strong's Concordance. I'm looking it up in the Greek and I'm like, that's kind of a long one. But then I looked at that word and I got really excited. The word obstruct. And God started talking to me and saying, okay, what? obstructs our receiving the gospel what obstructs our living the gospel because jesus has come that we may not have to have something obstruct but we need to be aware that if we're in a spiritual battle against good and evil then satan is going to try to obstruct the gospel not only in the lives of people who might only hear it from a missionary, but the gospel in your life, your everyday living, breathing, I'm a worshiper life. He wants it to be obstructed. And this is just my opinion, but what I think obstructs my living and breathing and receiving the gospel and doing as Jesus did is distraction. It's just destruction. It takes our attention. It takes our time. It takes our energy. It's just distraction, distraction. And we're called the information age. We're called the information age. And, and that sounds so good and wonderful until you realize we have so much information being thrown at us that even the computer people can't keep up with the people who are writing the tech things that, well, they don't even write manuals anymore, but... And everybody wants to be the smartest anyway. So it's just this ridiculous cycle of information. And not only that, 
we've gotten information and totally gone after it with full force thinking that it was correct and later learned that that was absolutely the wrong thing to do. I remember in the 80s, it was like, eat carbohydrates, eat carbohydrates, eat carbohydrates. I can't tell you how many potato parties I went to. I don't know why in college, I guess, you know, you don't have any money anyway, but I'd be like, if I go, if I have to eat one more potato, I, I just can't stand it. I really can't stand it. And then we get into now it's eat meat, eat meat, eat meat, avoid carbohydrate. Well, the Bible the whole time is saying something to us and it is be balanced, be well balanced, lest the devil come after you. I mean, that's literally a scripture, be well balanced. And we're to know what to eat by what is being shown us in the word and how how Jesus ate is a pretty good indicator of how we should eat seriously but i don't think just because jesus never had a chance to eat a bison that we can't go somewhere and have bison so but do you see all this information and it's all distracting and you know what distracts a lot of people a lot of people are distracted for from living for God and with God because they are so wanting to do the right thing. They're distracted by all the wrong things. And and they get together in Christian groups and talk about all the wrong things so that they don't do the wrong things, but nobody talks about what the right thing is. And I've been in Bible studies before like that, and I've literally walked out, not in a rude way, but, well, they may have considered it rude, but I just feel like... It's a little bit of a waste of time for us to talk about all the bad in the world when we can be talking about, hey, we are the army. What are we going to do? How are we going to get together? What are we going to use our spiritual gifts together to do? Do you know your spiritual gift? Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know your life is hidden in Christ? Do you know the more that we reveal of the word and more we see that Jesus said that he came that we might be saved, that he is the Savior that he is our wholeness. We don't have to pray for healing. He is our healing. We don't have to beg him for salvation because he is our salvation. We don't have to beg him for protection because he is our protection. And we can even go back to God's providential and incredible names that he gave to us. Even going back to God's covenant names, we don't have to pray for God to provide. We just need to know that he's our provider. He's our Jehovah Rapha. You know, we don't have to pray to be led. We have to know he's our Jehovah Raha, the Lord who is um, like the shepherd to the sheep. And we could go on and on and on. So... Get excited about this and know, okay, huge obstacle in my life. I mean, write it down. And when it comes, red light on, okay? Huge obstacle to living my life for Jesus today, right now, right this second, is distraction. Seriously, I have been trying before to listen to a really good speech or preacher or whatever and i will start thinking about what i need at the grocery store or what i need to do right after i leave or whatever it is 
Whatever it takes for you to take notes and pay attention and sit up. I mean, Storm Witten has been taking notes at church and he's been paying attention to the sermons. His spelling is a completely different story, but his intentions are good. And besides, he has to because I'm making him and it's a good thing. But we need to think what distracts me and how can I prevent that? What distracts me from the word? Is it that I get off like a running start in the morning and I don't put Jesus first and I don't stop and pray and I don't read the Bible. And so then by the end of the day, I'm saying, I'm sorry, God, I did it again. I didn't give any time to you. You know, what is it that is the obstacle? And believe me, it's, it's, it's hilarious. It gets to be absolutely hilarious how many things will try to distract you. And mainly it's because we're so darn easy to get a hold of. Turn your ringer off. Turn it off. And you're going to make some people mad because some people want you available 24-7. And that's not going to make them happy. But turn it off and get to be with the Lord. Hear from Him. Get all filled up. Get your directions for the day. And get going. It's so good. So John... 535, Jesus goes on to describe now. He's describing now more about the uh, John who came before him, John the Baptist. And Jesus said, he, John the Baptist, was the lamp that was burning and was shining. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish The very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. And you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. Now look, this is Jesus, fully God, fully man, looking into certain men's hearts and talking to them straight out. And he's explaining it to them straight out because he knows what's in their hearts, why they cannot see that he's the Messiah. He says, you haven't heard my father's voice at any time. You do not have his word abiding in you, John 5, 38, for you do not believe him whom he sent. And you know what? I I needed to turn that around. It was like, okay, Jesus said, you don't have his word abiding in you because you don't believe him who he sent. And I thought, that's a big mouthful to try to really chew on. And, and, And God just reversed it for me and it made it so much easier. Or you don't believe him who he sent, Jesus. You don't believe in Jesus. Because you don't have his word abiding in you. Okay, let's just do it that way. You don't believe in Jesus because your word, God's word's not abiding in you anyway. Abide means live. God's word's not living in you anyway. In other words, you may be very religious, but you are dead inside. Because the word to you is not alive. The word to you is 
is fancy scrolls and memorizing and being the best person to know the most, you know, scriptures. And um, maybe the word to you is uh, tradition. Whatever it is, it's not living in you. And I'm going to tell you what, listening is one thing. Hearing tells us, what is it, Romans 10, 19, that faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. So we know listening's great. And then we know, you know, writing down the word is great. We know speaking the word is great. But you're not living the word. You're not letting the word abide in you alive unless you're doing it. And so Jesus is saying, you know what? You are not loving your neighbor as yourself. You're not hearing the voice of my father. You may have memorized texts and texts and texts, but you don't have his word abiding in you. If you did, you would hear him, hear his voice, and you would recognize me. You would recognize who I am because he's been speaking about me the whole time. If you don't believe him who, whom he sent, if you don't believe Jesus, Jesus says, if you don't believe me as the Messiah, you don't, it's because you don't have my word abiding in you. So how do you get God's word abiding in you? We talk, we lots of ways to do that. But let's talk about what not to do because Jesus doesn't go to what to do. It's interesting to me that the very next scripture in John 5, 39 says, this is what not to do. I thought Jesus would say, and so... Therefore, for the word to abide in you, this is the way that I want. No, he goes to what we shouldn't do. And I know he does that for a purpose and a reason because everything that God does is for a purpose and for a reason. And we need to note it and look at it. He says, here's what not to do. John five thirty nine. You search the scriptures because you think in them you'll have eternal life. It is these that testify about me and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. There are people that search the scriptures and search the scriptures and look at the scriptures and and look at all of this, but are refusing to come to Jesus to actually have life. And he's saying, stop just searching the scriptures as if there's some urethral magical power that's not God. Stop that kind of nonsense and look at the word as this is truth. This is my life. This is how I'm going to live day to day to day. And he was just making a point that if they truly were living as those that were proclaiming to be Jewish and just not living by even any of the laws, then Jesus is saying you search the scriptures because you think that your life is in them and you have eternal life through just knowing, just a mental ascent and or looking for just that um, spark that of magic or where it can take you. But if you don't come to God and give him your life and become a worshiper of spirit and truth, 
then you don't really have the word abiding in you. It's interesting that those who are scholars that aren't worshipers tend to be arguers. John 4, 23. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers, and we read this just a chapter ago, shall worship the Father in spirit, because he's a spirit, and so we worship him spirit to spirit, and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship him. Remember we said we had to offer him truth, just like the, the, the lady by the well who had all those different husbands, because he can't, I mean, who can work with a lie? God knows when you're lying, and if you start lying to yourself, I mean, you can lie to other people. You can probably get away with it. You can't get away with it with God because he loves you too much. And he doesn't want to work with a lie. He wants truth. He wants it out there. He wants us to come forth and say, hey, I need healing from depression. Or, hey, I need help with um, my household duties. Or I need to organize. Or I need help with a budget. Or whatever it is. Instead of just being like, I got it all together. And so do you. And um, you look really cute, and so do I, although I French braided my hair while it was wet, and that was the most painful thing you can do with thick hair. I don't know why I did that. But here we are. We know this. You can know the words of the Bible and not give Jesus your life by letting him live in you and change you. And I have a gripe, I do, with telling people, no, wait, now, did you just say the prayer? Did you, uh, did you say the sinner's prayer um, and ask Jesus to come into your heart and to forgive all your sins? And they say, yes. And then you say, well, then you're saved. I have a gripe about that because guess what? It's really a continual thing. It's a continual thing. It's not a one-time, one-experience thing where somebody scares the pajamas out of you and you think, I just really don't want to go to hell. And you just kind of say that prayer like, well, I just pray, Jesus, you be the Lord of my life and, and forgive all my sins. And then you just go on your merry way. Or if you really have a great experience someplace and you are in this mountaintop experience and it's you and it's God and it's love and you pray that prayer with all, all your emotion, but not all your heart, then you may not really know Christ. You know, I think there's a lot of confused people out there who are saying, well, I prayed that prayer, and so I'm supposed to be a Christian, but my life isn't changing. As a matter of fact, my life is harder than other people's lives. As a matter of fact, I feel God distantly from me. I, I, don't, I don't feel him at all. And I think sometimes we need to go, let's look at what we're really saying. We have to be who God seeks. And did you hear that? God seeks those, seeks after. We're not just seekers of him. He seeks us. He seeks after you and you and you and you and you and you. That worship him in spirit and truth. He seeks after those that will worship him in spirit and truth. He doesn't seek after those who will worship him by the book and by their great denomination 
or those who will worship him by being good and not watching the wrong movies. And those that will worship him by raising their children right and um, not hurting anyone else. I mean, there's all sorts of ideas out there about how to please God. And God says, please me by worshiping me in spirit and truth. Tell me the truth about your weaknesses. Tell me the truth about your life. Let me be your God. Otherwise, I will honor your wishes and let you be your God. And I don't know if you've ever had that where you have been your own God. It's miserable. It is so miserable. Because God is a God of mercy and love. And we are awful taskmasters. We are the hardest on ourselves. Most of us are, unless we're completely narcissistic. But otherwise, most of us are unforgiving of ourselves. Most of us are unwilling to let things go that we've done wrong. We, we, we need to realize we serve a God of mercy and love and grace who's seeking after us to simply get in his word and worship him in spirit and truth. So you can know the words of the Bible and not give Jesus your life by letting him live in you, change you. And that word life, if we go back, to the word life. It's a familiar word. It's now a little girl's name that you hear all over the place. Zoe. And it means real life. And genuine. Active. Vigorous. Devoted to God. Blessed. In the portion. Even in this world. Of those who put their trust in Christ. But after resurrection. After we die. And we are resurrected with him. To be consummated. By new ascensions, among them a more perfect body to last forever. In other words, life is life now, fullness of life, complete God life. And it's also eternal life. And eternal life we have now. And so it's looking at things completely differently. It's looking at things the way Jesus is teaching. Life. But we need to be devoted. It says in the word that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And part of the definition of life there means devoted to God. So when you actually hear even the little girl's name Zoe, it means devoted to God. But it also means like life, life, full life eternal life but if we look at that word devoted and we ask ourselves who am i devoted to really i mean really think who am i devoted to it it means great love commitment or loyalty and dedication to somebody or something especially over a long period of time We have this little shelter dog named Yo-Yo. And because he was in the shelter for three years, and because I guess I got him out of the shelter and fed him and let him sleep in my bed, I'm so embarrassed. And um, he is devoted to me. He follows me everywhere. 
He wants to be where I am because he knows I'm his provision. He knows that I'm the one who loves him. He knows that his home is with me. He knows that I'm not going to turn him away. Wouldn't we do well to do at least what a little puppy does? We need to be following after God, asking after him, looking for him, being inquisitive in the day of where are you moving, God? Where are you putting me? Whereas if God's moving, I need to move too. We need to be truly devoted to him. And so who are we devoted to? You know, biblically, it's supposed to be that we're devoted to God, then our spouses, children, and then the call upon our lives. And we can't negate any of those things. Because if you do, then you're missing something. And I'm not talking about if you're, if you're not married, if you're single, you're devoted to God. You're devoted to the call upon your life. Obviously, this is applicable to whomever this is applicable to. But that would be the order of God's devotion that he has shown us. The founding fathers of the United States of America were called to be devoted to God, okay, in order to establish a free country based on the principles of the Bible. Many of our great-great-grandfathers and great-grandfathers and even husbands, daughters, and fathers have been devoted to God and willing to give their lives when America is threatened. World War I, World War II... They were called the greatest generation, mainly for their unselfishness. But we also have to commend the men and women who've served in Iraq and Afghanistan and places all over the world now and who've lost limb and life so that we could live in this country that was based on the principles of the Bible by men who were devoted to God and devoted to making it free. So we need to look at something just really quickly. Devoted to something. What are we devoted to now? What would somebody say our generation is devoted to? You know, some people would be devoted to their career. It's not everybody, but some people to their career, to the furtherance of themselves. Some people would be devoted to their reputation, you know, what people think about them. Some people might be devoted to their children and just be devastated when their children leave because they gave all their devotion to their children, and that's just out of order. God says, me first. Seek me first. Some people may be to the neglection of God devoted to their husbands, Willing to not follow God's ways because they're so devoted to their husbands. That's still wrong. What are we devoted to? We, we need to know this scripture um, in Colossians 3.23 and 24. That it, it helps me a lot because... I want to be devoted to God, but I'm like, God, I'm in the grocery store. How can I be devoted to you? Okay, God, I'm helping, 
you know, storm with his spelling. How can I be devoted to you? Okay, God, I'm going off and speaking um, to these people that I don't know if they even want to hear this Christian message. How can I be devoted to you? Okay, God, I'm on vacation. How can I be devoted to you? And and God tells us right here how do we how do we do it? He's so practical. I love it. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not man. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Just keep recognizing I'm not serving this job more than I serve Jesus. And all that I do, I do for him and do unto him. We need to keep recognizing them while keep recognizing that while keeping a balance. I was thinking about our generation, and I want to sadly say this, and there's going to be a lot of people that aren't going to like it. I think a lot of our generation is devoted to idleness. And you would kind of think that God wouldn't have anything to say about that. But what I mean about that is the people that can not work, stay at home, not have to um, make a living, uh, that feel entitled to receive from others and from the government, um, that can watch cable TV all day, that actually can eat 25,000 Twinkies. I mean, I'm not trying to make fun. I'm trying to say that there is a generation of idleness in America that you don't find in any other countries because they're busy looking for food. And so here's this commentary that we get in Thessalonians that speaks directly to this problem. And so I don't have to say anything else that's going to get me in trouble. I'm just going to speak the word. And then if, you, if anybody gets mad, I, I get to say, well, I didn't say that. God said that. Thessalonians 3, 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked day and night, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. Want to hear it? Here's the rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Now, if that was a law in our country, that would solve a lot of problems. And then let me go ahead and read Second Thessalonians 3.11. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Okay, that is also true. Idleness means that you're not busy and a lot of times you become a busy body. You can be a busy body at the country club. You can be a busy body at the gang on the street corner. I mean, no one's left out of this. No one. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. Now, it's an obvious thing, but I have to state it. If someone is absolutely disabled, 
then we are to, as a community, come around them, and it really should be the church helping them and and giving them the sustenance and the things that they need. But there is such a spirit of idleness in America, and it's not just those who receive help from the government who work the system and don't really need it. It's not just those people. It's also a spirit among our teens of just laying around, doing nothing. What are you doing? Nothing. I have rarely ever been bored in my entire life because you don't say, what are you doing? Nothing. Or my dad would find you something to do, you know? And so we, but there is an ability in this generation to be idle and for their brains to be idle. And then for a whole generation to raise another generation to expect to eat when they don't work. And that is just the simplest way I can put it, what the Bible says. I think the second thing that America is devoted to besides that's not good, besides idleness, is recreation. Our highest honored paid people are sports stars, rock stars, and movie stars. Entertainment, recreation. So we put our emphasis on this now. So is our generation going to be not the greatest generation, but are we going to be known to be devoted to idleness and recreation? I mean, this has been called the me generation. It's all about me. It's what I need. It's what you can do for me. It's, you know. We need to look at what we are telling. And I'm, I'm talking about us as mothers, us as fathers, us as teachers, us as adults right now. We need to look at what are we telling the next generation is important and it's not what we're telling them it's what we're showing them what are we showing the next generation that is truly truly important is it entertainment and self-pleasure is it a virtual world of helplessness with hopelessness with teens or are we actively in our lives living lives of true worshipers Worshiping in spirit and truth daily, not even needing to tell the people around us that we are, but showing them that we are. That's the way to change our generation. Go to livingjesus.us to hear the rest of Kathleen's message and hundreds more at no cost. Thousands of people in 40 countries download Kathleen's scripture-filled, Jesus-inspired, real-life messages at an increasing rate. Jesus said, freely you received, freely give, Matthew 10.8. If you are able, financially join us in reaching the world for Jesus. Go to livingjesus.us and freely give so that those who could never pay will continue to freely receive.